Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 18th, 2011. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the audio is available for free download at cuttingthroughthematrix.com and go through them at your leisure and hopefully you'll start to understand the big system that you live through, a system that's constantly upgrading itself, that plans the future, that looks at the world in stages and all their plans, much like the, the old Stone Age to the to the Iron Age and, and, and so on. Uh, and they have the future planned the same way, post-democracy and technocr- technocracy, as it's called. This is a system you're now appointees. They'll run governments, and they'll be the government, in fact, and the people of no um, recourse at all, uh, no, no response from these characters either, because they'll never, they're not really responsible to you. They're appointees, and it's of a rule by bureaucracy, which was decided a long, long time ago. Back in the 1800s, they wrote about it. Uh, Engels, who was a pal of Marx, he believed in it too. And even before them, uh, the idea was tossed around how they would go through this series of events of industrialization, post-industrialization, service economies, and then into this new technocratic society. So what you're going through now today is just the same, same stuff that was planned a long time ago. And the reason we're going through the, all the crisis is to get you all ready for it, because they have to come forward just like Italy and say, well, it's, there's nothing else going to save you. And the people will get on their knees and say, oh, well, please save us and try it. And that's it in. They've got a foot in the door. That's it started, you see. Quite simple. I've talked about technocrats for years. And, of course, they have their higher technocrats that are also to do with geopolitics, like Kissinger and Brzezinski, these guys. These guys are the true higher technocrats, the ones who are across the world. And eventually they'll appoint the lower ones to, to, be, to fill the offices that used to be filled by, by prime ministers and presidents. And when you go into the website to remember that you are the audience that bring me to you, you can buy the books and discs and support me because I don't take on money from big advertisers. If I did, I'd expand and have a huge business on the go easily. And uh, I don't want that at all. Uh, this way it's easier to get uh, the basic truth out without any uh, bells and whistles or even have to compromise myself on, on products and selling and all that kind of stuff. So therefore, it's up to you to keep supporting me. And if you want to buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, it's a fantastic history archive, you'll find that uh, you can buy the books, etc. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can purchase using a personal check or an international postal money order from your post office. It costs about the same as a normal post, postal order. Uh, you can use PayPal. Uh, some people are saying cash. And, uh, uh, and remember to donations are really welcome. Very, very, very welcome. And if you've got a book already or some of the books, you should get some more and sell them or give them away at Christmas time. Whatever. It's up to you. And as I say, we're going through the big changes and it literally is documented for an awful long time by the people who are involved in these big world meetings about the plan changes into the coming new society. And, of course, I've gone through the history of First You Must Build Up, and Karl Marx talked about it too, 
They build up the, the blocks, trading into trading blocks, integrate them all. All their sovereignty has gone into one, uh, and they're now really new countries or empires, if you like. And eventually, they'll mer- all merge together under global governmental system. Old idea has worked awfully well for the bankers. That's why they've, uh, they've always funded both sides of everything. Everything. And uh, uh, you'll find, as I say, that um, Engels and all these guys were real advocates of a technocratic society. Expert rule, and Lord Bertrand Russell and others, as I've said over the years and read from his books, said the same thing. Uh, we're all run by scientists. He called them an experts. Technocratic society is a proper name for it. And uh, that's what we're in today. It's been here for a while, actually. Most folk haven't noticed. If you hear that, see, if you don't call it the right name, people don't associate anything. You have to lead them by the hand. Because what do you think science czars are and various other czars appointees? Every country's got them now. You see, you're already getting used to it. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix and... I've talked over the years too about one of the big think tanks, one of the biggest think tanks that work with the United Nations. In fact, they advise a lot of departments there, and that's the Club of Rome. And the Club of Rome has nothing to do with the Vatican, by the way. It's just the place where they had their first meeting. They love to name them after the places they first meet, these international organizations, which are really big foundations or fronts for the foundations that are, owned, that are also the fronts for the big banking boys, international bankers. So anyway... Uh, you, you find that uh, they were the ones who came up with the idea of how to get everyone under, under, on their knees, basically, to accept this new form of governance. Back in the 70s, they said that democracy would have to go uh, because it's too inefficient. They couldn't get the great plans through. What they were referring to was technocracy, again, an idea going back into the, to the 18th century. And, um, and, of course, this is what we're going through today. They also came up, were given the task by the big foundations, those moneyed boys at the top, uh, to find an excuse, and they came up with the idea of, of weather, bad weather caused by man, etc. Global warming was the first thing they said, and they looked at hundreds of ideas you could con the public to give up all your sovereignty, all your rights, and that's individual rights and so on, and, and be under a form of austerity where, where, you, where you would use much less, consume less on the planet, that, that kind of thing. We're calling it austerity today. It's all the same thing, you see. Nothing, they just keep changing little names here and there, and you never clue in on what they're talking about. It's all the same thing. So then they hit upon the idea, and this is in their own, own book, you'll find that they, they hit upon the idea of uh, blaming man-made global warming, uh, famine, etc. Uh, and that would do the job, basically, they said. That would fit the bill. And since then, it's been a, it's a mantra for all the big green armies that, the, that are funded and paid for by these private multi-trillion dollar foundations. So you're run really by a parallel government, and this is what Quigley and others talked about. Even Maggie Thatcher, she joined it and said she was happy to join it. She said that when you leave office as a prime minister, why throw away your experience? She says, I know other prime ministers and high bureaucrats. I know the name of the game. And she says, I now belong to an organization which works behind the scenes and gets things done. Exactly what the Club of Rome was talking about, about democracy. And it was here long before Thatcher opened her mouth about it because, again, the parallel government, according to Carl Quigley, who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations that really runs a lot of this, he said that it was on the go, really. This whole agenda for world domination, uh, where a few uh, big uh, 
banking companies basically would own all the resources of the planet. Uh, he said it was on the go since the late 1800s. And not one president since then, he said, was not a member of it before he was selected by the supposed people. <laughs> but anyway, it's been the same across Britain and every other country as well, all the British Commonwealth countries. They're all members of the same organization under the different names of Royal Institute of International Affairs, uh, Canadian Institute of International Affairs. Canadians changed it uh, a couple of years ago because we're all talking about it, so they changed their name. Same organization. And one for New Zealand, uh, Australia, and elsewhere. So... Your, your lives really are run by those behind the scenes. The media tends to never talk about because the media is owned by them as well, the big bankers. And so you, you can only make your mind up about anything about according to the information you're given or you look out and, and search for, I should say. Don't just take what you're given. Search. Do a lot of searching. And just because something pleases you, because you're biased against something, don't accept it right off the bat. Really go and investigate it. But um, they're still harping on about it, of course. And it's so interesting to watch stuff that, as I say, that Engels and Marx and and uh, others talked about, uh, Club of Rome, technocracy, etc. And even an organization that came out in the 1920s and 30s called Technocracy that was based on, on, on this stuff. It's so interesting to see it with the weather control and uh, the climate change and the crashing of economies on cue, of course, all come together beautifully at the same time to panic the people across the planet. So they'll accept, you see, uh, the experts when they step forward and say, you know, I can fix this, you know. I don't want you to elect me. I want to be appointed. In fact, I just want to grab the job. And I want you to basically obey me, and that will be it, you see. It's already happened in Italy. But uh, it's interesting that propaganda doesn't stop, you see. They don't want to stop till till they've got everybody convinced. Then all the children at school are already convinced because that's all they get rammed down their heads, you see. There's no opposing view on things or no facts, real facts shown to them, just, just drowning uh, polar bears, you know, even though the polar bear has exploded in its size in the last the last hundred years or so. So much so that they even ice flows are carrying them off to Norway and places where they've been eating people. And I've read some of these articles before. But anyway, mind you, they can, they can swim, swim hundreds of miles. That's another thing they never tell you either. The hundreds of, even the brown bear can do that. Hundreds of miles. It's amazing. The BBC has dropped a climate change episode from its wildlife series called Frozen Planet to help the show sell better abroad. You understand, if you just see it in the U.S., you'd never realize there's a final one to it because a lot of folk in the U.S. won't agree with it. They're too skeptical, as they call it. You know, they're still in denial. They're deniers. Oh, negative connotation. But anyway, since British viewers will see seven episodes, the last of which deals with global warming and the threat to the natural world posed by man. So the U.S. The US won't get that. They'll just get the six-part brainwashing series, and then they'll be goaded or, or nudged into the final understanding and come to their own conclusions about the seventh without even seeing it. That's how, that's how perfect psychology is today. You know. Says, however, viewers in other countries, including the United States, will see only six episodes. So the environmental program has been relegated by the BBC to an optional extra alongside a behind-the-scenes documentary which foreign networks can ignore. The BBC, which is paid by the taxpayer in Britain and funded by them, and they have lifelong jobs, the characters there. I could say a lot more, but I can't. Uh, and, uh, but but they, they're on board totally with uh, the IPCC and the global warming scam and all the, the fake evidence that ends up being no evidence at all. They're completely on board with it. They're one of the, the biggest brainwashing organizations on the planet has always been the BBC. 
always. Read George Orwell's story on it, because he worked there during the war as a propagandist. You can read his diaries on it, and how he helped to manipulate people's minds. I mean, whole countries, not just Britain, when he worked at the BBC. Anyway, uh, it says here, uh, others suggested that the corporation should have offered on thin ice the global warming episode for free due to the importance of the issue. However, the BBC said it was standard practice to offer international clients only the parts they wish to, wish to purchase. What it is really is there's too much opposition in countries like the U.S. So it says Frozen Planet on BBC One is the latest big budget series from the BBC's Natural History Unit in Bristol, which was made in association with Discovery Channel and the Open University. It's got as much credence, in other words, as the History Channel, which is all bunkum. You know, rewritten history. So anyway, uh, that's how you get your brainwashing, and so they're going full blast ahead with, with basically brainwashing you. Now I'll put a link up tonight to it. In the top two you'll see related articles. Sir David Attenborough has already said the same thing. We're going to start culling humans, etc. The, the usual rant and rave by the same kind of people, and his name just happens to coincide with uh, the sun god of ancient Egypt, eh? Atten. Anyway, doesn't matter how you spell it. Nigel Farage is a European member of Parliament, and uh, it's a show. I mean, the par- all parliaments really are shows, because real decisions are made in committees. They're all secret committees, and secret often from each other, and um, that has been for a long time. But it's true in, in the, the parliament that he's in, in the EU, they have no actual voting powers or even lawmaking powers on anything. They can only yell at each other. And uh, you'll hear the, the, almost the, the bureaucratic Soviet guys yelling with their in, incomprehensible logic, because there's no logic to it at all. And then they'll pull out Farage to, to say the obvious, which he does in this particular video. I'll put up a link for that tonight, too, uh, as he really gets into the guys who handle the cash systems for the Europe. And you see them squirming a little bit. And he mentions the same thing, too. He says, you're all appointees. No one voted any of you in, including Rompuy or Rompuy or whoever he wants to call himself. Uh, and uh, and that's what they are. They're all appointees. This is, the, again, technocracy has been here for a while. And, of course, the European Parliament was never designed, never ever designed to be a democratic uh, system at all. So Europe hasn't been under democracy for a long time. And I'll also put up, too, uh, the article to do with, again, technocracy. It says the new Italian, Italian government does not include a single elected politician. It's from the Telegraph. Uh, Maria Monti, as well as new Prime Minister, appointed a government without a single politician on Wednesday, forming a technical administration, see that's technocracy, uh, which faces the daunting challenge of preventing the country from being dragged deeper into the Eurozone debt crisis. And it's not a very hard uh, write-up on it at all. It does go into the fact that it's made up of bankers, uh, this government, bankers, lawyers and university professors, but not a single elected official an extraordinary development for a Western democracy. Not really. As I say, we've been under it for a long time because, as I say, you've watched science czars and various professional expert czars getting appointed, even the term czar. Well, what do you think? That's the way of telling you what they are. They're appointees, experts, unelected by the people who wield incredible powers over all the other po- the elected politicians. You've been under it for a while. That's how much of a schmuck they take everybody to be. Is, is they can't put two and take two together. What do they mean by a science czar? Eh? An economic czar, etc. Yeah. And every country's got them. Britain's got them. All the other countries got them. Put on the boards. Even local governments got them, by the way. Appoint, they disappoint themselves. 
under climate change or whatever it is, or sustainability. These are all SARS. That's technocracy. It says, but it is a deal that much of the literature and nearly all the mainstream parties have signed up to in order to save Italy from the economic abyss by trimming the country's bloated bureaucracy, slashing its 1.9 trillion euro debt, and unleashing economic potential after years of stagnation. So there's your, there's your spin on why this has been brought in. But as I say, when guys write about it a couple hundred years ago, and other ones rewrite it again back in the era 20th century, and it's a whole, uh, whole um, science based on this technocracy, if you want to call it science, and here it's introduced, then it's not by coincidence, it's because it's by design. As this, you have to go into the, how you're taught in the better schools, in the lower schools, as I say, they get the Stone Age and, and they get the Bronze Age and, and Iron Age and so on. But they go much, much deeper in the better schools. And I'll talk about that when I come back. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix and talking about how, and, and the better schools as they call them, uh, the ones that Russell and others talked about as well, uh, they get a, a bit of a different education, uh, a completely different worldview altogether in fact, but but they, they get taught uh, about the ages of man. And the, the many things in between the ages, how commerce moved and how migrations of people moved and how it brought commerce with them, what kind of commerce etc., who was getting wealthy out of it, where this, the wealthy ones would settle, all that kind of stuff, back and forth. And they call them ages. And right up in, into your industrial age, in fact, and in, in post-industrial, and then you're into basically a service economy. That's an age for a little while, small age. And uh, and then you're into technocracy, basically, post-democratic, because it's too cumbersome, the claim. And you can't have people really, the experts, why should the experts serve the people when the people should be admiring and, and glad to have experts running them and ruling their lives for them? This has all been discussed at the, at the, say the, the, the posh schools, basically. That's how they're taught about things. And they go through the different wars that were caused, all the reasons behind them that they claim. And, uh, and, but, but really, they're, they're, they, they always pushed for technocracy. And Russell said it too. He says that there'll be a dictatorship eventually coming out. He said, and this is a, probably a scientific dictatorship. That's what he was pushing for. And he worked with many organizations across the world. Uh, many of them, in fact, one of them in the U.S. was meant to create, recreate American culture after World War II so it wouldn't be fascist. And uh, that was the Macy Group, and that was authorized by the president of the U.S. to alter the U.S. culture. And uh, and he said, oh, this new society, this new system of rulership will be scientific, a scientific dictatorship. It should be terribly cruel because even it's basically blind bureaucracy. You know these strange lobster eye characters that are called bureaucrats and. Uh, that's that's who they are. They, they, you don't know what they're thinking because I, th- I think they feel nothing. To be honest with you, either that they see you as nothing. It's probably more more honest about it. But uh, this is the system that they're bringing in now under the guy. It's, it's beautiful. Everyone's else seeing everything as a crisis. I'm not seeing a crisis at all. I see it manufactured, uh, scary tactics to bring all of their desired uh, agenda into being. Because as I say, they go down through the ages, they, they talk about the ages of man, and now you're into the technocratic age. And this is how you bring it in. And, this, and the Italians too are told, that's the only way we'll get you out of trouble is putting the experts in. 
and they're, they're on their knees already. So that's how it was done. And the World Bank, uh, again, this big clique of private banks uh, that also get your tax money to fund them, by the way, uh, they lend cash out to countries, and then their other boys or brothers at IMF come in and loot the country, getting the money back from them. Uh, or we're defaulting on the debts and making you the taxpayers back home that unknowing to you, if you listen to last night's talk, you put down as a guarantor to pay off all debts across the world to these countries that, that, that it's loaned out from, from that World Bank. Anyway, everything's coming together just wonderfully as far as the big boys are concerned, and they're not panicking at all because they have nothing to lose. They don't put their cash in the places everyone else puts it into. Uh, not only that, they own the gold market, silver markets, diamond markets, and every other market there is. In fact, they own everything you pretty well need now. Water is a big a big one as well. And all the food systems, they own it all too. So they're not worried about losing anything. They, they plan it all ahead, well ahead. And I've talked so many times about the free movement of labor and goods and, and all these treaties have been signed with the U.S. and Canada and all the other countries across the world, free trade treaties under the World Trade Organization, another unelected organization, as they all are. And... Um, the G20 is all behind it, etc. But uh, this one article here is about Australia, because Australia says mine workers could be pushed out of their jobs with Australian mining companies searching for cheap replacements offshore. And I've, read, I've got an article here too, a previous one, where uh, India's going big time in China as well for coal into Australia. They're building their own airports and everything else. Everything's to be built by themselves, even the roads, and they're going to bring in their own labor. So this is similar. Uh, they bring in Chinese labor, labor from India, much like Britain did to Africa during, during their empire phase. They brought in uh, workers from India into Africa to lay the, uh, the railway tracks, etc. Anyway, it says Australia's master mine group has turned to Poland in a drive to find new hundred new coal miners for colliers. Uh, in Queensland and New South Wales, recruitment firm Randstad says, it's a large-scale project running over three years. Other Australian clients aim to recruit some 300 miners a year. And it says interest has already outpaced their clients' expectations, with 300 people answering our ads already, she said. Mining remains one of the top industrial sectors in Poland, employing over 100,000 people in the nation of 38 million, which relies on coal to generate more than 90% of its electricity. I wonder if they got an exemption from the carbon tax. The advantage of Polish miners is that they are well qualified and in general operate the same machinery as used in Australian mines or similar models, although that that used down under is more modern, said Gorska. Anyway, that's what they're doing, the free free movement of labor and goods that comes under free trade that none of us got a chance to vote for on anything because we've been under technocracy for a long time, you know. That's, That's the truth of it, isn't it? We're out of the picture. We're kept busy with entertainment, and as long as you've got a few pennies for the weekend, booze up and all that, people, most folk are quite happy. Anyway, it says, this article here is about, because they're building up for all their climate meetings this year, and I always give you these scary, massive scenarios before, and they say that themselves. I've read all their quotes on this, on this broadcast before, that they give them scary scenarios to the public and press releases to terrify them before they have all the meetings. Because after all your cash, you see, all your, all your disposable income is to go in the future under austerity to basic things, food, water, paying your bills, uh, and, and also, uh, it goes into fees and taxes. And that's why they're really pushing ahead on this masterstroke of genius, dominate us all by the fact that, oh, we're all killing the planet. So they can't give up on this one. Back with more after this.
are listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. And just before I go on to this article about this IPCC nonsense and uh, what's coming with the weather, etc., uh, I, I wanted to get back to the bureaucrats and the bureaucratic mindset and technocracy. If you think it's bad now, what do you see? What do you see what's coming down to? It doesn't matter. See, it doesn't matter what common sense can show or facts can prove. If you've got something written down and, and you're wrapped in a fur coat and shivering up to your neck in snow and, and they're under global warming and you're telling them, you know, it's, it's freezing, we need something, something to hear. So they're going to deny it to you because under their, it's under rules. It's in the rule book here. Here it is, right here. And uh, I'm not, that's how crazy it is with them. When you have doctrines pushed in bureaucratic mindsets. Just like that article I read, mentioned yesterday from Scotland where firemen wouldn't go down a 45-foot mine shaft to rescue a woman who was alive. No, they wait till she was dead and, 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 and they got her out by, by calling for mountain climbers to go down on a rope. 45 feet. They had all equipment there. But it says in the book here it's only for firefighters to use this equipment, blah, blah, blah. You see? So that's, she died. <laughs> that's a bureaucrat for you, you know. You can find them too when you go into the halls of power and you're looking to get some strange something that's been sent to you from the government, cleared up some crazy thing, wrong name, mess, whatever it happens to be. And and you, when you enter, they've got it's honeycombs. It's got, they've got honeycombs of corridors. That's where bureaucrats play and hide, you see. And when you initially go in, it's kind of, kind of dim. They always keep them kind of dim in these varnished doors. And you, you'll see them scuttling along the sides. They cause hang next to the walls like mice and rats do. And and if they, one of them passes you, you'll see the fear because you're one of them, you know, the outside people. Uh, and the fear in their lobster eyes is they just sort of going to look at you, you know, with no emotions whatsoever. And then they'll, then they'll, they'll duck into a door so you can't say anything to them. That's, that's what a bureaucrat is, you know. Anyway, this is a bureaucratic mindset. The EU Parliament bans the claim that water can prevent dehydration. That's the sort of craziness I'm talking about. They had the same problem in the Soviet Union about things. If you ever looked at the Lysenko affair, look into that uh, to do with genetics. And Lysenko believed he could actually force plants to, to, to evolve, forced evolution. And none of it ever got proven is right, but they had to go along with the doctrine because Stalin liked it. But anyway, EU bans a claim that water can prevent dehydration. Brussels bureaucrats were ridiculed yesterday after banning drink manufacturers from claiming that water can prevent dehydration. And it says, the National Health Service guidelines state clearly that drinking water helps avoid dehydration and that Britain should drink at least 1.2 litres per day. I can remember when they first came out with this stuff, when they were trying to indoctrinate all the peasants, you know, the, the peasants, everybody, if it wasn't a bureaucrat, it was a peasant, and uh, and they told us two gallons at one time. Everybody was walking around like just squelching, you know, slop, slop, all over the place, running the toilet all the time. But they brought it down to 1.2 litres. Anyway, experts are wonderful, aren't they? EU officials concluded that following a three-year investigation, three years for bureaucrats, you see, there was no evidence to prove the previously undisputed fact. It says, producers of bottle water are now forbidden by law from making the claim that they will face a two-year jail sentence if they defy the edict which comes into force in the UK next month. 
Last night, critics claimed the EU was at odds with both science and common sense. Well, there's no common sense in bureaucracy. Conservative member of European Parliament, Roger Helmer, said, this is stupidity writ large, he says. The EU is burning, the EU is falling apart, and yet here they are, highly paid, highly pensioned officials and highly paedophiles, worrying about the obvious qualities of water and trying to deny us the right to say what is patently true. If ever there was an episode which demonstrates the folly of the great European project, then this is it. As I say, listen to Nigel Farage bombast these characters that dealt with the money, and you see them all with their little uh, arrogant little faces turn a bit reddish uh, as they squirm a little bit. And these are experts, appointed experts, not, not elected, but all appointees, eh? Isn't that just wonderful? And that's what you get when you when you get this new technocracy. Well, as I say, we've been in it for quite some time, in fact. The IPCC is a good example. No one voted for the IPCC that's going to dominate your whole life. I mean, Pachuri, who runs it, uh, writes sex novels where he's the hero. I mean, this guy's a little psychopath. He gets all the grants coming into him that he helps get passed through all the governments, and he's got businesses all through India. They can burn coal and everything else. This guy's pocketing lots of cash. And he was a, what did he work at before? He made him an expert in science and the weather. He worked on the railroads. No kidding. Yep. Anyway, mixed messages on climate vulnerability. It says, and it says here, from the BBC, of course, um, one of the most striking new voices in climate change has emerged since the UN summit in Copenhagen two years ago is a climate vulnerable forum. Another unelected bunch of highly paid idiots. So I won't even read this one here, but it's just the, the gearing you up to the to the the meeting in Bangladesh that's going on right now. Oh, scary scenarios! And UN Secretary Ban Ki Moon as a keynote speaker, he's been staring at the moon too much. These countries feel vulnerable as a result of several types of projected climate impact. And but when you read through it, it probably, maybe, could be, etc., might be. Uh, there's nothing concrete. It's all rubbish. Because the reason it's all rubbish is because, as I say, it's a political agenda to change the world. They must, they must get you all under this to, to, so they can rule you. You understand? And then you have um, another one here, put up tonight from What's Up with that. This is a GWPF response to the new IPCC report and natural variability to dominate weather events over the coming 20 to 30 years. In other words, we're going to have natural weather, we're going to be up and down like a yo-yo for the next 20 to 30 years, but then it might warm, you see. Yeah, we haven't seen the warming yet. Just the computers that we spend money on to, to try to spew out all horrifying predictions and so on. They, they're all on, on board with the computers, you see. But it isn't happening in real life, unfortunately. So it'll happen down the road sometimes. So we've got to still work at it and still believe in it like a, like a religion. You understand, these are the scientific movements that try to destroy all religions and elevate themselves up as the new religion. And like all religions, they come down on heretics with an iron, an iron hammer, you know. It's no different. You better, it's all down to belief now. There's no empirical evidence on anything here. It's all down to, but do you believe it or not? Yes, no, no, boom, you know, that's it, guillotine, that's it. So it's the same rubbish, but again, we've always been led by rubbish, you see, and, and believe this and believe that. So they were easier managed, and, and we plundered and plucked, just like chickens. Your cash money, you know. Anyway, uh, uh, I've got uh, this other one too from Joanova, IPCC scientist, test the exit doors. 
And it says here, this is another big tipping point in the slide out of the great global uh, scam, the warming scam. IPCC scientists facing the travesty of predictions gone wrong are trying to salvage some face and plant some escape clause seeds for later, but people are not stupid. And that's exactly what they're doing. I mean, personally, to get better, maybe more imaginative and more colourful predictions, if they just, just smoke some weed and get a really good, not made, not made in China, but a crystal ball, not made of plastic, and stare at it for hours and hours, and then they, they can be like Nostradamus, you know. They could write it in quadrants and, 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 and just come out with all these different predictions and stuff. And the public would probably like that if you put some magic in there and stuff like that. You see? So there's a conveniently leaked IPCC draft is testing the ground. What excuses can they get away with? Hidden underneath some pat lines about how anthropogenic man-made global warming is likely to influence uh, cold days and warm days is the get out of jail clause that's really a bombshell. Yeah, we might make it warmer or cooler. Yeah, might, might, see. And it says, um, uncertainty in the, t- in the sign of projected changes in climate extremes over the coming two or three decades is relatively large because climate change signals are expected to be relatively small compared to natural climate variability. So they won't find them because normal weather goes up and down like a yo-yo. So they probably won't find these small ones, you see, which they're really counting on. Translated, the natural climate forces are stronger than we thought. So nature and natural up and down weather is stronger than we thought. And we give up. We can't say whether it will get warmer or colder in the next 20 years. That's, that's a translation of that, that rubbish that is put out there, you see. This multi-purpose prediction means that in the future, if it's colder, they're right. If it's warmer, they're right. And, and they have it covered for more or less storms, floods, droughts, blizzards, and frost too. And then there's the perpetual motion aspect of the threat. Greenhouse gases might not be dominant now, like they've been saying for the last 20 years, like they have, they have been saying, oh, it's really dominant. But it might not be dominant now, but they will, but they will be, they tell us. They will be. Look out, the storms are coming. We're all doomed. Well, we definitely, absolutely must be right. Got that. That's how it's, that's how they say it all. It's all double speak. If the century progresses without restraints on greenhouse gas emissions, their impacts will come to dominate at forecasts. And here's how they, they say it. It's very likely, it's very likely that the length, frequency and or intensity of warm spells, including heat waves, will continue to increase over most land areas. It's very likely, this is. It is likely that the frequency of heavy precipitation rain, or the proportion of total rainfall from heavy falls, will increase in the 21st century over many areas of the globe. Then mean tropical cyclone maximum wind speed is likely to increase. There is medium confidence, medium confidence, right, that droughts will intensify in the 21st century in some seasons and areas. I mean, you understand how these phonies that give you all the predictions every year, they bring them out at the new year. So, oh, he was the greatest guy. He made so, so and so correct predictions, for, you know, about this, that, and the other that came true. Well, during all that time on the big ones, the same guy would also made a, a thousand, he covered everything, like a thousand predictions, and that's how they take the five that actually happened. The folk never catch on to this stuff. <laughs> it's amazing. Magicians use the same stuff on stage. Late, low probability, high impact changes associated with the crossing of poorly understood thresholds cannot be excluded given the transient and complex nature of the climate system. So I can't really say low probability or high impact changes. So then look for this, the, the, seg, the segue where the scientists and activist journalists quietly shift the goalposts. 
It's, it's impossible to read the draft without coming away with the impression that with or without anthropogenic climate change, extreme weather impacts are going to be felt more and more, simply because there are more and more people on planet Earth, particularly in the swelling megacities of the developing world that overwhelmingly lie on the coast or in big rivers close to the, to the coast. That's an exit clause, and it reads like this. Here's what it, this translation. We might have been wrong about CO2 causing the disasters, but disasters are still coming. We've always had disasters. More people are going to die from climate catastrophes because there are lots more people at sea. We were right all along to be concerned about the climate, just not quite right about the cause. This is a handy excuse. Al Gore tried a segue like this out a couple of years ago, pretending that he was just fine-tuning his altruistic saintly concern by saying quietly that CO2 wasn't as bad as he thought it, but black carbon was awful pollution. In other words, he'll never admit he made a bad call or has been caught pushing a scam. He'll just say he was right all along. Carbon is still the issue. It's just a slightly different form. (laughs) So that's the stuff, you see, that they give to... And I must say, too, you see, these guys at the top are pretty certain they'll always get what they want because most people are unconcerned. They've been socialized, domesticated, to the extent that they accept so-called technocrats or specialists ruling over them. Don't bother me with that stuff. That's what these guys are paid to do. I want to play. Oh, that's negative. That's what the majors say. That's negative. Don't tell me that because it gets into my karma and my dharma's all upset. You see? Uh, so with those people, when you see them on the railway line with, with their walkman on their heads, don't bother shouting to them or, or waving up and down. They don't want any negative news when that train's running up behind them. They can probably think themselves out of it. You know, they're so pure and perfect. Now, the Eurasian Union is another big part of the structure, because initially they wanted the, the European Union, and then Eurasian Union, and then the, then the two will be combined down the road, you see. Three former Soviet republics have launched a new regional integration project with at least two others on track to join in. Critics accuse Moscow of rebuilding the USSR, but architects of projects say that they aim to become a better version of the EU. By the way, there's actually stuff from the archives in, in Russia, uh, which even give you the saintly Gorbachev talking about this back in the 80s. In the 80s. How they'd get this Eurasian group to eventually merge down the road with the rest of Europe. They're not supposed to really be bored with stuff like that. The idea of the Eurasian Union, initially between Russia, Belarus and Kazakhstan, made the headlines in October this year after Vladimir Putin voiced it in a program article. The name may be new, but the future entity behind it is quite old. Uh, Nusraltan Nazarbayev, the current leader of Kazakhstan, suggested it as long ago as the early 1990s, saying a union of the three countries plus uh, Kazakhstan and Tajikistan is necessary for them all at the same at the time the notion of reconnecting the newly separated parts of the former Soviet Union was questionable at best but a decade and a half later it stands high on the agenda. It's no surprise that many commentators both in the West and on home ground are cautious about the project. For instance uh, Georgian President Michael Saakashvili was quick to brand it a new Soviet Union. Critics say that Putin wants to dedicate his almost assured presidential term or two to reviving the socialist empire. A closer look, however, shows that this is unlikely. The creation of the Soviet Union in the 1920s had two key features that are absolutely absent today. 
It was about gluing back together the shattered Russian Empire. No, it wasn't. What became members of the new countries were, were parts of the old one, and less than a decade of independence was far from long enough to allow that memory to fade. So anyway, everything's coming together, as I say, at the right time, uh, including all the, the Pacific Rim region. Again, read Carl Quigley's Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment, who talks about the group who started in London. They helped design all of this, big uh, international monetary boys, who put together the Royal Institute of International Affairs. That was their final name for it. Also called the Council on Foreign Relations, where they go across the world first, taking up and buying up uh, through wars and just plundering too all natural resources and eventually bring in trading blocks. And then they themselves would rule through uh, a star chamber, which is now called the World Trade Organization, to see who gets free trade and who doesn't get free trade, etc., etc. And they make trading blocks, just like Karl Marx said too. It's from the same sources, actually, the same uh, people. But anyway, we're we're there today. We're there. We're watching it all happen. And as they plunge you all into further and further debt, they say, oh, we can only save ourselves by by binding ourselves closer and closer uh, into more trading blocks, into one big trading block under a technocracy. It's all on on cue, all on time. Everything's working perfectly, folks. It only seems like chaos if you look at everything independently from everything else. And in Ireland, too, it's interesting to see there's no sovereignty left anywhere. Uh, one of the members of Parliament there, Enda Kenny, has rejected reports that details of next month's budget, including a planned hike in the value-added tax rate, and that's still to hit America. Boy, they don't have it yet. We're, we're shown first to official German officials. That's what they're really complaining about yesterday. Not, not their own people. It wasn't leaked to their own people. It was just to tell the ones that matter, the big bankers, eh? Mr. Kenny met Chancellor Angela Merkel in Berlin yesterday, after which reports emerged that the Irish government was planning to, uh, to raise the top rate of value-added tax by 2% to 23%. That's 23% tax in everything you buy. They've had that in Europe for years. And America doesn't have it yet. Doesn't have it yet. You understand, with free trade, here's the, here's the deal. At one time, you see lots of the, 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 the tax that ran the government uh, came from imports. You tax imports. When you go to free trade, you see, you sign deals, you don't want to lose all that cash, so you, you just tax the peasants at home and make it up from them. They call it a value-added tax. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt, we're coming through the Matrix and I, I have to go to callers now I didn't realize the hour just flies by and I've got about 100 stories or more I could have uh, gone on and on and on Anyway, there's Aaron from Nevada on the line Are you there, Aaron? Hey buddy, uh, thank you so much uh, Use your uh, insights and stuff to help me do my little uh, show that I have and uh, really enjoy hearing your calm, salient commentary on things um, So I wanted to run by a couple things uh, at you um, with respect to the UK, um, what do you think uh, Miss Middleton's uh, entrance into the family uh, lineage there has to do with anything? And secondly, off on a different, uh, with the ECB saying no, uh, QE3 dreaming for them, uh, how do you see that? How do you see the you know the financial world unfolding? Given you know your thesis on things. Mm. Well, I know Middleton isn't too. She was portrayed to be. You have to go through her lineage to find out who she is. And then it should hit you between the eyes who she is. 
if you follow her families down through the last hundred years, and you get a better picture of who she's uh, very important, really. And uh, she'll be a good breeder, no doubt, you know. Uh, that's all that they really do these things for, is match them up for breeding purposes. But it's got to be the right person to breed them with. And that's why, of course, even with Charlie Boy, they had to uh, find someone uh, who was a virgin. It's a very hard thing in this day and age, of course, uh, with so many PFLs around. But anyway, um, when they found Diana, it was the same thing, uh, because she was uh, also attached to the old Stuart lineage, where technically, in a sense, if you really go through the present royal family, they don't have much... Um, what you can see is, is British royal blood in them at all. So that was, that was to really cement the houses and try to fortify their position as the proper rulers of, of Britain. But as, as far as the, the whole the whole moneyed system goes, believe you me, you're going to go through incredible transformations because it's all set down, as I say, in, in this. It's not, it's, not really, it's not really a science. It's a doctrine, uh, this technocracy. Uh, it's a plan. Uh, and, of course, the, even the idea of money has changed in your own lifetime. You've seen it gone from paper, uh, even silver coins that were always used in Britain at one time. And these have silver sixpences and and and, uh, and uh, and so on, things like that. That's all taken off the market. And and then you kept this this substitute for something you could at least weigh as a valuable commodity uh, and into just basic uh, cheap metals. So you've seen it going from that, and then you've seen it going into electronics. And uh, it just blips on a screen now. It can be made anything they want it to be, but they can also make it into credit cards. Ultimately, what they want to do is to train the, the people, maybe over the next 20 years, maybe even 10 years, uh, as they bring in austerity measures, you will get a credit card eventually. It will be matched along with your ID card. Uh, Bertrand Russell talked about this back in the 1950s. That was the agenda. And you'll be allocated so many credits per week. This will be across most of the world, it's all those in the trading blocks. And uh, you can't save it up. You, uh, you start off again on Monday with the same amount in it again. Uh, and that's just the way it's going to be for most people. But for the privileged ones, the ones that are into the technocracy, the important ones for society, the ones who are ruling you all, uh, and, you know, well, they have, to, they have to get a higher standard of living naturally and living in the, the customs that they're, they're, they're used to. So that's how it's going to be for them. So most of the stuff with money, right? Money's always been a con. It'll continue to be a con even when they bring it into what's called um, a, a credit system, a credit-based system, and you get taxed back. All your disposable income is to get taxed back on fees, carbon credits, etc., etc. What costs you, supposedly, to, to live on this planet, what it takes from the planet. But the big bankers from charge, uh, same bankers, by the way, same bankers are, are morphing into the same ones as global. And they'll run it just like they did after the Great Depression. Same bankers gave you the World Bank, the IMF, etc., etc. Same banks. But uh, that's all I can really say in such a short span of time. But uh, thanks for calling. From Sean from New York. Uh, maybe you can call again on Monday. Uh, for Hamish myself, Frontier Cars, good night. May your God or your gods go with you. Remember, help me out too because uh, I don't ask for backing from any of the big boys.